0: I'm gonna go with a very surprising pick, but my loyalty to this hometown, being back in Cleveland, I'm gonna go with Darius Garland. Nice pick, D.G. the P.G. I know you wanted him, Katie. I know you wanted him, Katie. I know you know I did. That's why you did that. (laughs) (laughs) That's terrible. Two hands that'll bring the house down. Three on the way. Good. Garland spins down the lane. Crowd has Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Yeah! Yeah! Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. I am Bob Schmidt, voice of Fox Sports Radio, and your host. On this Cleveland Cavalier-centric NBA podcast, back after a two-game hiatus. No, I refused. After what was perhaps a bit showy on my part in my last podcast, if you happen to listen to the Fear the Fro podcast, episode, what, 58, I believe? uh, I might have gotten a little bit excessive in my victory laps and shit-talking directed At the Toronto Raptors and Scotty Barnes. And then they came out and hung what was probably the most painful loss that I've felt. It's not so much that the game carries any greater significance. It does feel that way, though. Especially after suffering two losses to them. One of which left our superstar point guard injured. And then for them to come into Cleveland for a team that was 16-2 and at home and just handle the Cavaliers. Manhandle. Donovan Mitchell force him into what was, well, his two worst games of the season. Now, basketball reference keeps track of something they call a game score. It's sort of a, I don't know what you want to call it, a compilation of all the stats and various things that happen, plus minus, counting numbers, shooting efficiency, etc. And they give it a metric, a score, that pretty accurately corresponds with what we, as the fans, would feel are the best games of the season. Like, for example, Donovan Mitchell's highest game score over the course of this season was the game against the Lakers. And I think we can all acknowledge that Donovan Mitchell was otherworldly in that game. Now, his two worst game scores, according to BasketballReference.com, are, in fact, two Toronto games. For whatever reason, the fact that they grab and clutch and hold and foul endlessly... As if we're watching a football game out there. For whatever reason, the Raptors have our number. And bitch and moan as I might about the officiating, they also got excellent performances out of several of their role players. OG Ananobi, Scotty Barnes, and Siakam did enough that, in the end, it was a solid win for the Raptors. And they sent us to 16-3 and at home. And Barnes, despite whatever struggles he's had to this point in the season, went for 25-10. and OG Ananobi, six three pointers on the way to 26 points, nearly a double double for him as well. Two guys who may be a little bit redundant at times, but certainly would be luxuries for any team that is wing starved. So not only does it hurt to watch them beat us, but it hurts watching them get so much production from a position which continues to confound the Cavaliers on a semi nightly basis. Then, tonight, unfortunately, in an outcome that I feared might be the case, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving walked into Cleveland, and Kyrie Irving said some nice things about Cleveland. Always nice to be back or touchdown down in Believe Land, I believe was his tweet. And they hung 64 points on us over the course of the game and did it with deadly efficiency. 21 of 37. They combined for 12 three-pointers. While Kevin Durant did foul out of the game, it was not before doing enough To halt a late Cavalier run where they cut the lead to four points late in the fourth quarter, but behind a 15-point fourth quarter from Kyrie Irving and some excellent all-around basketball from him as he went five for seven from the floor in the final quarter. That was enough to send the Cavaliers to their second straight defeat and end the homestand. Now, all in all, yes, it's a disappointing end. Yes, these are two teams that for very apparent reasons, I do not like losing to. There's no love lost between the Cavaliers and the Raptors. For me, it began when I saw all these people discrediting what is perhaps my favorite member of the Cavalier roster, and that's Jared Allen. Siakam missed out on being the All Star reserve replacement because mostly he didn't have enough games. He missed a big chunk of time, and while he came on like a wildfire, too little too late, according to the coaches, because Allen was the linchpin of a defense which was leading the Cavaliers to an amazing first half. Now, the wheels completely fell off. We saw that. They were exposed once the injuries piled up, and ultimately they missed the playoffs. But the All Star replacement selection at the time was warranted. And more frustrating to me, wasn't that they were just upset that their guy missed out but they used the opportunity to slander Jared Allen and maybe the refs were listening because they've carried that slander over to the basketball world this man is officiated as if he was some two-way contract scrub and that theme carried over tonight as in the first quarter of action we saw a tie up then turn into Ben Simmons hurling Jared Allen onto the floor no call don't get me wrong the the refs did not play a big role in the outcome of this game. There was a couple moments, surely, where you felt their imprint on the game. That was one moment for me where I was just annoyed more than anything. It's just a tie-up. It would have gone to a jump ball anyway, but to let Ben Simmons throw Jared Allen to the ground where all the refs were looking at it. What does this man have to do to get the kind of respect that any other all-star in the NBA would get. You think the people they would swallow that whistle against would be the guys who bitch and moan, like me, not the guys on the court, the Cavaliers by and large. Talk about a team that takes the high road. Was anyone else out there just fantasizing after that jump ball was called and they threw Allen to the ground that during the jump ball, Allen would just forget about jumping and just take his forearm and just put it right through Simmons' face? I fantasized about that a little. Now, maybe you're saying, whoa, Bob, you're unhinged. I don't think so. I think some of you are on the same wavelength. You might not be able to say it in a workplace or in a society where there's rules. But here on this podcast, this is a safe space. It takes me back to when I was a kid. I was a camp counselor at a Cub Scout camp. I was probably 14 years old, and I was leading a bunch of 9- and 10-year-olds in a game of basketball, and it was my job to essentially divide up two teams of five and try to make for an even game. But there was this one fat little piece of shit that was bigger than all the other kids. It looked like that Andy Reid video from Punt, Pass, and Kick where it looks like a grown man playing with a bunch of children. And this guy, very reminiscent of Ben Simmons in some ways. Physically big, but just terribly unskilled. And yet, ruining the game for everybody around him. Was just knocking all these little kids over. Really feeling himself. Really feeling himself. Now understand, I was supposed to be, not an adult, because I wasn't an adult, but I was supposed to be a leader, a figure of authority, like a ref at, at best, I guess. Somebody, but I was playing all-time offense. I was inbounding the ball, and then they would just kind of take it from there. And here's the thing. Amongst people my age, I was a runt. I could relate to this Sammy kid, and I was finally in a position where 14-year-old Bob may be a gigantic pansy on a level playing field, but squared up against a fat 10-year-old I could fuck shit up. So anyway, what I did, I'm not proud of this, but I just fired a pass as hard as I could at that little kid, the fat little kid that was bullying everyone, and it hit him in the hands, but like it it had enough mustard on it that it kind of just like whizzed right through his hands and then smashed him in the nose. I booped his snoot, and he ended up having to go to the nurse, so he was out of the game. Now, I don't know how statute of limitations work, and I'm not sure what a 14-year-old on 10-year-old violent crime would result in years later, but I think I'm probably safe to tell this story. Here's the thing about that whole exchange. In the moment, if you see a kid start leaking on the blacktop, you would think that his classmates would be consoling him, checking to make sure he's okay. But no, not in the slightest. Even Sammy, the sweetest kid in the world who brought me a card at the beginning of the week thanking me for being a camp counselor. That kid, I saw him giggle. So I guess what I'm saying is sometimes if you're being bullied and nobody is intervening to do what is right, it is upon you to take it into your own hands and hit a 10-year-old child in the face as hard as you possibly can. And I mean that metaphorically. Don't be the kind of asshole that takes this clip out of context and paints the Fear the Fro podcast as if they condone punching children in the face. They do not. I do not. Maybe, in certain contexts, 10-year-old Hitler, for example, go ahead, smash him right in the face with a basketball. If you kill him, you will go down as the second most famous on-court homicide behind only Ron Artest, witnessing a 19-year-old basketball player fatally stabbed to death by a broken-off table leg after a fight erupted during a basketball tournament. I know, maybe you think I'm making that up. Maybe you're on the younger side of the Fear the Fro podcast demo, but I assure you, it's real. Go to Google, search, and I quote, not making up the stabbing story, colon, run our test. It will take you right to this unbelievably true story. This has gotten a bit off the rails, and I feel like out of context, this is a pretty damning section of the Fear the Fro podcast. But I think initially, if you follow this to start to finish, you know what I'm trying to say here stand up for yourself. Nobody else is going to do it. For whatever reason, I think the refs know, eh, we can fuck up whistles against Jared Allen because he's such a polite, wonderful human being that he's never going to make a big deal out of it, and people just forget. I don't forget. I remember all of it. Now, back to my rant. The other near-abomination, refing wise was the Chetty Block Charge review, and the refs went to review Under the guise of, well, we need to make sure he was outside the restricted area. Which is clear bullshit. Let's just get that out of the way. And before you say that I'm being a homer, I felt the exact same thing yesterday at Christmas in a game in which I was rooting against the team who got screwed by the replay review. And that is the Phoenix Suns. There is no love lost between this podcast host and the Phoenix Suns. Keeping it moving, Landry Shamit took a charge, which was reviewed and overturned, in what was one of the biggest posters that we'll see in modern NBA history, definitely this season, as Aaron Gordon put down a dunk right over top of him, despite Jokic being wide open under the rim, should have passed it. But that is not the point. The point is, Aaron Gordon went up, Landry Schammett, well outside the restricted area, took what was initially called a charge, and the refs triggered a review based on the bullshit premise that, oh, well, we need to make sure he wasn't in the restricted area. And during that process... They realized that he shuffled to his left just slightly, something they didn't and would never see in real time. They called it a charge and they gave Aaron Gordon the dunk. Now that was to the delight of a lot of NBA fandom because constantly we see these highlight reel almost dunks from John Morant and others. And finally, a posterization dunk that looked unbelievable on film counted, but it counted because of a bullshit review rule. And I know there's an argument for, well, ultimately, isn't the important thing that they got the rule right? Yeah, but not if what allowed them to get it right was a gross manipulation of the rules. You can't answer one wrongdoing with another. As I'm saying this, as the words are coming out of my mouth, I realize how insanely hypocritical it sounds that I was saying there was a little piece of shit being a piece of shit, and I answered by socking him in the face. That is the definition of answering one wrongdoing with another wrongdoing. But the difference is. I'm an unredeemable pile of garbage. The NBA is not. It still has a chance to be the best version of itself. And someday, you'll all be on my side. Mark my words. It's just like the overtime rule in the NFL. It took the Bills getting screwed by the Chiefs there for people to finally realize we robbed ourselves of an unbelievable opportunity. And one day, you'll all get there. If you're not there yet, and I'd like to think you are because you're savvy podcast listeners, but I will seem prophetic at some point. So now to bring it back to Osman, when he took the charge against Durant late in the fourth quarter. I didn't think the camera angle showed it, but it looked like when he anticipated the contact arriving, he might have lifted off the ground just a little bit in starting to sell the charge. I'm fine conceding it, honestly, because my bigger issue here is how we arrived at the review again, if in real time. Osman, one of the worst defenders on the roster, is able to anticipate what you're doing and get from the other side of the lane to set his feet and take a charge, well, then it's a goddamn charge because he is not an anticipatory defensive player in that way. And in real time, it looked like he was there for seconds before Kevin Durant arrived. When you factor in how horrible Osman typically is on defense and how great Kevin Durant is, that was an all-time Osman fourth quarter stop right there. And that is the thing that cannot be robbed by some bogus review. The review is not meant to serve as some safety net when you don't have the courage to make a call in the moment that you feel confident in. This man gets torched far too often on a far too regular basis to take away what was an unbelievable play to get Durant one closer to fouling out of that game. Fortunately, that was one of the memorable moments of defense that Osmond played in the fourth quarter in which he went the whole way. Mitchell, Mobley, and him played all 12 minutes of the fourth quarter, and even though he scored seven points, which was good for second on the team in fourth quarter scoring, right behind Darius Garland's 18, some of the highlight moments for Osman, shockingly, were on defense. In a night where the defensive stoppers who can't play offense struggled, Osman played some of his best basketball in the fourth quarter. Now, the Brooklyn Nets subreddit feels distinctly differently. They are Furious about the free throw disparity. 30 free throws for the Cavs to 17 for the Brooklyn Nets, and 22 of those 30 free throws came in the second half for Cleveland. Darius Garland, 11 free throws in the second half alone. Now, you probably felt this during the course of the game, but the 15 trips to the line make a season high for Garland, whose previous high was in that 51 point outburst in Minnesota where he went to the free throw line 13 times. This by far was the most makes. And attempts, 13 of 15 from the line. Not big enough, unfortunately. And things are going to get awfully difficult in a few games for these Cleveland Cavaliers. So with these two losses behind us, let's address a couple things. First thing I want to touch on briefly was a story before this game started. And that was Lamar Stevens was tabbed to start against Kevin Durant. I supported this move. When we face guys like KD, Giannis, Tatum, I want the bigger more physical defender and Lamar Stevens out there. I think Okoro's getting better and not fouling, but I honestly think his best served defensive position is shooting guard. He should be guarding smaller guys, faster guys, not bigger, more physical guys. We saw what happened when he had to take on Paolo Banquero. We've seen what these big guys can do to Isaac Okoro when given the chance. In emergency situations, can you throw them out there on them for a possession or two? Sure. But ultimately, in the end, I feel the same way when Patrick Beverly would try to line up against Luca, He's going to get torched every time. Sometimes, effort does not trump size. Where Lamar Stevens is the best we have right now, until Dean Wade is back, I get it. It's frustrating. You don't feel 100% confident in either of these guys spotting up for those corner threes in a way where you would feel much more confident with Dean Wade but it's the best we have. And to see this debate and guys get upset at JB because how can you do this to a Coro? Listen, all of our options have glaring weaknesses. At least logically speaking, the choice he made was the right one. The results were not good. But a lot of that, I don't put it on the coach. A lot of these guys just get outplayed because they're simply not the caliber of player the people lining up against them on the other side are. And seeing a guy like TJ Warren torch the Cavs makes you jealous a bit that that man who was injured for as long as he was last year but exploded in the bubble if you recall the fact that they were able to get him on the cheap he was their third leading scorer and exceptionally efficient in doing it 64 percent from the floor nine for 14 he got a one-year 2.6 million dollar deal he was out there for the taking a lot of teams could have given him more than that part of an exception a whole exception to see the type of production. To dollar value, that's a little bit of non buyer's remorse. And things may change with the buyout market, it's possible. You never know where these contributors are going to pop up, who could fall out of favor, who could thrive. Look in Minnesota. Rudy Gobert gets brought in for an absolute haul of picks. And without him, they're 4 and 1, and Nas Reed has put up two 2010 games in the last four games, including 27 and 13. And 21 and 11. This was a guy who was on their own roster. You're happy when a guy on your roster succeeds, even if it's at the expense of somebody else who you invested far more in. We just need a fraction of that production from whoever the fifth starter is for the Cavs on a night in, night out basis. I would settle for 10 and 5 regularly with Rudy Gobert, the Timberwolves 12 and 17, without their 4 and 1. And they gave up five first rounders, essentially. To get him, one in Walker Kessler, who's been excellent for a fraction of a fraction of the price of Rudy Gobert. Anyway, my point is these guys just pop up seemingly out of nowhere. Your Cody Martins, your Caleb Martins, your Max Struess, your gorgeous George Nyang, four three pointers for the Philadelphia 76ers in the fourth quarter the other night. Development can work. Sometimes it's just time and opportunity, and all of a sudden things change. And I don't know what the answer is. The ideal answer would be Dean Wade comes back and all things are good. But we've had a lot of injuries. Okoro's been the healthiest of all of them, but the least consistent until up until recently. So I'm not going to say that I have the answers, but I liked the mindset. Durant is just superior offensively in terms of he's long, he can get his looks over everyone, and he's far deadlier from range and from the mid-range than a Giannis, who's pretty much a put-his-shoulder-through-you type of threat. And I'm with you. I'm disappointed that Durant and Irving lit us up too. But coming into tonight, over the last 10 games, this was the best offense in the NBA, the Brooklyn Nets. They were up to the third best net rating over those 10 games, and they'd won nine of their last 10. The fact that Durant, who had been averaging 29-7-5 and and shooting 60% from the floor and 37% from three, torched us, well, it's more of the same from him and Irving because Irving's been doing 28-7-5. and These two are playing like the 1A, 1B that everybody expected them to be. Even if it's not over a longer sustained period of time, right now, they're dialed in. And I don't know how the voting will play out, but the fact Kyrie Irving's in a massive market, his team is surging, they could find themselves at the top of the Eastern Conference, and he's been playing unreal basketball in a conference where the guard selection options are pretty weak after Donovan Mitchell. He could very well find himself starting. Donovan Mitchell struggled yet again. 5 for 16 from the floor, 3 for 9 from 3. What we've seen these last two games is a bit of a playbook developing against Donovan Mitchell. He made note of it in his post-game talk about how much more he's being face guarded, he's being grabbed and clutched, trying to prevent him from even getting back to the ball. He's having to work just to get open. And whether it was Royce O'Neil or Ben Simmons, neither of those guys made it easy on Donovan to the point where I think a lot of his shooting issues are coming from the lack of energy he has from having to battle so hard just to get back to the ball at times teams are face guarding me now learning to adjust that i gotta learn how to get better at that defensively being able to play against a guy like kevin durant i mean there's not it's only one of him but understanding that that's something we something we might see you know we'll continuously see um being able to get on the boards you know those tap outs hurt taking away threes getting back in transition past two games i would say the, the vibe in the locker room is just finding ways to just continuously improve and be better now, I didn't do a podcast after the Raptors game, but Donovan Mitchell had comments which were less prepared, I guess you could call them, when asked about the Raptors after the fact. His quote was, and this was from Chris Fedor, when you follow the whole game, and they're really good at it, they being the Toronto Raptors, they can follow the whole game and the refs aren't going to call it on each possession. You got to give them credit. They're physical. They kicked our ass. I think that's how most of us felt watching the game. Now, certainly some people... Have pointed to this as sour grapes and oh, this is your superstar, blah, blah, blah. It was very physical again today. Donovan Mitchell is just going to have to adjust. And I think he will. I don't think it's anything to be too concerned about. If anything, these next three games are against weaker opponents, the Pacers and then the Bulls twice in a row. And then we head into a schedule which will be unrelenting and very difficult. And most of it will be on the road. This was our chance to pad some wins. And you have to come away. I get it. I feel a little disappointed with these last two games, but they did beat the Bucks, and they took care of business against the teams that they should have took care of business against. And now the Cavaliers will see a stretch in January, which is arguably one of their most difficult of the season. We get six games against what is a very difficult Western Conference run here. The Suns in Cleveland, followed by the Nuggets on the road, the Suns on the road, the Jazz on the road, the Blazers on the road. The reeling Timberwolves, a bit of relief in mid-January, and then back-to-back against the Pelicans and Grizzlies with the Warriors and Bucks. after that. That stretch, that is an unbelievable stretch of games where you're seeing certain contenders in the Grizzlies, the Pelicans, the Bucks, and the Nuggets and Suns. That is not going to be easy. In order to do the type of things that need to be done to be considered a true contender, the Cavaliers are going to have to string some consistent efficient good offensive outings together on the road. None of these waning falling off second halves. None of these huge runs that we've been letting teams have. We let a gigantic run go at the end of the second quarter today which essentially that felt like the backbreaker. The Cavs were in this, it was a one-point game and then that's went on a 19 to 4 run to close out the half. In a night like tonight where they were chipping away, they'd go on these mini runs and then Kyrie or Kevin would have a momentum killing bucket. And it just felt like they responded time and time again to when we started to get some momentum. And that's what great teams do. And that's what great players do. And for as much as I am not a Kyrie fan, you see what Kyrie Irving can do when put on the floor and just focusing on basketball. 15 points in that fourth quarter. Incredible at orchestrating an offense in crunch time. Due, in large part, to the time that he spent here, playing big games on a big stage when it mattered. So I think that's enough of a post-mortem here on the Fear the Fro podcast. Thank you to everyone who has listened. I'm expecting three wins. That's what I'm expecting. And hopefully we'll get Darius Garland keeping that momentum going against Tyrese Halliburton, who after being slandered on a big stage by Wally Zerbiak, who called him a wannabe all-star, has just uh, gone nuts a bit. Had some huge games. Hit a game winner even. So he is certainly getting a lot of headlines, and I would think after 46 points... We'll hear a bit of conversation about Darius Garland tomorrow, but certainly with a win, that would have been even more so. So let's hope to rebound with some victories. And thank you to everybody who has subscribed to the podcast. Not sure how many more will happen this calendar year. There will be some more. I haven't, I mean, just look at the game schedule, I guess. But point being, what you guys have done for this podcast during this calendar year, I'm super grateful. And I thank all of you, those of you who have to work this week. Hopefully this gives you something to listen to. Thank you for the ratings and the reviews. Thank you for sharing the podcast with your friends. And I'm looking forward to an even bigger, better 2023. Hopefully one that comes with an NBA championship. But, you know, work to be done. This is the Fear the Fro podcast. Now get out there and punch a 10 year Liver, This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.